Great morning, great afternoon, great evening, wherever this conversation finds you. I am Travis Gray, and today we are transforming with an incredible guest, Lindsay Briner. Lindsay is a neuroscience meditation thought leader. She is also an advisor, executive coach, speaker, and teacher. She is an incredible scholar in the areas of fundamental well-being, enlightenment. A lot of a lot of you might not be aware that uh, enlightenment, spiritual awakening, this field, there's there's a study, there's a field of study around these ideas, these spiritual topics. But a lot of you, if you've already been tapped into Gray Transforms, then, then you know the, the field of transpersonal psychology is heavily interested in these sorts of topics. Lindsay Briner is an expert in these areas. Lindsay, how are you? Thanks so much, Travis, for that intro and for having me. So happy to be here with you. Absolutely. So um, we we are uh, we are alumni of the same university uh, in, in the master's degree of uh, tr- uh, master's degree at Sophia University, and we have a mutual friend, Samantha Sweetwater. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that that that's, that's really amazing, uh, Samantha. And I had a really great conversation on the podcast uh, not too long ago. So. Um, people will, will really enjoy enjoy some of this. So, um, what what is the story of Lindsey Briner? How did you get into this work? How did you become a leading scientist in in this in this research? Mm, um, let's see. How far back should I go? <laughs> um, well, I can. Yeah. So I started with my master's degree in counseling and transpersonal psychology. And during, before and during my master's, I, so I've been seeing clients for 10 years doing a variety of methodologies, um, NLP, hypnosis, a lot of limiting belief work. And so I was seeing clients all through my master's and decided that I didn't want to do um, traditional licensed therapy and wanted to do research and um, continued to see clients, ended up at the transformative technology lab at Sophia University university, um, analyzing a huge data set under Jeffrey Martin on um, a variety of meditation techniques and applied neuroplasticity using positive psychology. Um, And at the time, I just started attracting, because of my connections through the lab, I started attracting a lot of executive clients. And because of my learning that I did while I helped run the um, the experiment, the finders course. So I put hundreds of participants and guided them through this um, experience of meditation and positive psychology and took a lot of that as inspiration into my coaching practice with executives and started teaching meditation. And um, since then started um, studying and publishing a paper with Roger Walsh of UC Irvine on human motivation and kind of developed my practice even further, which led me, um, and and then also studied under Dan Brown, my meditation teacher, and Dustin DiPerna, who are incredible scholars as well, and um, basically created a synthesis of all of this inspiration and great mentors and teachers that I had to come up with my methodology for leadership development training and executive coaching that I call stabilized flow. And so it's different than the standard traditional model of flow state, which is a game time mentality 
a state as a temporary experience of unity and action um, as defined by Csikszentmihalyi. Um, but I, in my paper that's coming out with Roger Walsh, where we um, add three higher levels of development to Maslow's model and kind of articulate it in a way where these three higher um, stages of development can be bridged to not just Maslow, but any developmental model in Western psychology. And we bring in a multicultural approach to naming these three higher stages. Um, um, one is selfless service, you know, after self-transcendence, there's selfless service, and then what we call motivation transcendence, and then what we call transpersonal spontaneity. And so, um, yeah, it's a multicultural approach, a lot of Eastern Buddhist approaches to these, to name and define these three higher levels. And it's also kind of a framework for how I define my method in stabilized flow, which is like a flow trait, the unity and action in, in every moment, right? Where the meditation practice is not just to access a sense of effortless inner peace while sitting, you know, similar to flow state, it's like a temporary game time mentality for your one task, right? But the idea of meditation is to be in that effortless inner peace in all times and all situations. And that the sitting practice is just to train the brain to get into that state, to be able to maintain it in all areas of your life. So then I started um, bringing these com concepts and techniques um, to developing my stabilized flow method, which has been really fun. <laughs> yeah. But that, that sounds extraordinary. It sounds like the, the best kind of work that anybody would want to be involved in. Uh, really, really amazing. So you, your, uh, the, 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 that work of, uh, of Mihile is, um, is it's really interesting. So uh, famous for writing a book called Flow. And um, and uh, a, a book that I actually just tossed away from me, but I was uh, there. There is a there there is a there is a paragraph in there that I read last night in kind of pre preparation for for this for this conversation. And he 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 spoke about the the requirements of complexity of consciousness, and uh, that that's what I thought was really interesting because the the work of of Jeffrey Martin that when when I have. Um, when I have listened to him speak about the non-symbolic consciousness, it has um, it has not been a term that uh, that that it doesn't it doesn't seem to fit what I what 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 I am observing from you know my my point of view my perspective on what these higher states uh, this peak performance uh, performing states. Uh, are and how how the the ongoingness of that can can be for for a person. So you your your this the stabilized awakening uh, for you the, the, this is a trait. So what how does one one obtains this trait through meditation practice? But is this uh, it, it, does, does somebody practice ongoingly? Is is life becoming the practice, or every day they have to do something to still maintain the state? Yeah, well, it depends on what stage of development that the person is in, and what and the extent of the inner work that they've done. And so, I combine um, the style of meditation that I teach with a lot of limiting belief work you know, what I call identifying the false self narrative. 
And so that we identify the gestalt of the core of the false self narrative, our, our conditioned mind that stem from, you know, childhood traumas that get, you know, these belief systems that we opt into and then get reinforced by culture and society or our family system and just kind of identifying the, the gist of that false self narrative, where it comes from, doing some rewiring around that and then combine it with the meditation. Um, I find that to be really effective. And that's how my teacher kind of approached it to Dan Brown was, is that we run into these limiting beliefs that we, that are running in the background constantly um, in our meditation practice too. So the combination of you know, either psychotherapy or limiting belief work with a coach with the meditation is really kind of the golden ticket. And then I also add in the applied neuroplasticity, which is kind of rewriting or reauthoring the, um, the narrative mind, like giving the ego, you know, something more <laughs> effective to do, right? Instead of just being on the automatic of our subconscious mind. So, so what is the narrative for somebody in this sort of state that sort of having uh, maybe having acquired this trait uh, on a on a on a continuous basis, some, something that is ongoing, persistent for them? Yeah, well, <clears throat> the characteristics of stabilized flow is, a, is actually a significant decrease in the narrative mind and then a bringing online and a flourishing of more and more positive traits. And also like a significant decrease in negative, negative states. And so the narrative mind for the most part is just kind of in the background, but when it is there, it's, it's confident and it's clear and it's not an egoic confidence. It's like an effortless clarity of mind, um, with, pre with great presence. Yeah. So it's like the, the, the they know themselves they don't require the mind to do the constant commenting on all of the pieces of their lived experience. Yeah, it's like that in the, in the voice of the inner critic just mm -hmm. kind of fades into the background. Mm -hmm. and, and how long have you been doing this work and this, this synthesis of it? I've been doing the stabilized flow work for six or seven years now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow, so how how have you seen uh, improvements in your in your own uh, performance in your scholarly work you, you you are an advisor for a lot of uh, a lot of great companies you've you've done a lot of great work have a, a lot of uh, uh, amazing mentors uh, around you um how has how has your performance deepened or how, how has that increased based on uh, being involved in this work yeah. Well, I decided, you know, to work with primarily executives and doing leadership training um, because I found that I was could relate to these high achievers because um, I'm one of them. Right. <laughs> and um, what I teach and what I practice for myself has a lot to do with motivation, you know, and that's this paper with Roger Walsh that's being published in the Journal of Transpersonal Psychology. And it's basically what we map out and, and in my own experience for myself is we identify this false self narrative, these limiting beliefs 
Um, I found that they get locked into the nervous system, into fight or flight, where we're being motivated by fear. You know, fear of failure, fear that I'm not enough, fear that I'll always be alone, or and then these coping mechanisms of I have to be perfect, put up this facade of perfectionism and competence, or like I have to prove myself, you know, and then they get these um, dynamics of the limiting beliefs and the coping mechanisms become automated. And it's like a survival pattern that also has great gifts that come with it. You know, and for high performers, it's it's the determination and the grit of like nothing's going to get in my way, you know, but at some point we get to a place in our growth and our development where there's no longer a need or with a coach like myself or some other support where we find that there's no longer a need to be in the survival you know, or we get to like a lot of my clients are in a place of total burnout where they're like, because they've been running these algorithms of fear and addiction to, to the adrenaline and cortisol. So it's about shifting the mo- how the motivational axiom is being run in the system out of fear or scarcity or insecurity into altruism. You know, that's that first stage that we add to Maslow's model after transcendence, self-transcendence as selfless service. And that's how, and then the next one is motivation transcendence and where, you know, our experience of being motivated to be productive or to achieve gets radically um, deconstructed and reconstructive to be one of altruism, you know, and that's in, in, um, in Buddhism, it's called bodhicitta, you know, and every time, you know, you sit down to practice, to sit, you know, you set your intention, you, you evoke the bodhicitta that may my practice serve not only myself, but for all benefit, all beings to be free from suffering. And the way that I teach it, you know, in a not from a non-dogmatic perspective with my clients is that, by you learning how to love yourself, to be totally self-contented and trust yourself and to intend to reach your full potential in that way and be on this path in this lifetime is only going to positively benefit all of your relationships, all of the people around you, all of your projects and businesses, and therefore have an invisible domino effect of positive impact into the world. And so just doing that intention setting can help modulate how you're running motivation in your system while also deconstructing the fear of failure and the scarcity and security and all these things. And it's like a reprogramming of like what's truly motivating us and, and, and anchoring ourselves in um, a practice of this bodhicitta or being motivated by altruism for the benefit of the whole system. And as you know, you know, and as a transpersonal psychologist, you know, transpersonal means like beyond, beyond self or like beyond the ego mind where the locus of identity is in the ego. And that's like the, the false self structure, right? And so when we transcend, like one of the primary characteristics is that the locus, as Maslow defines it, is the locus of identity shifts from the sense of self as an identity construct or ego to the sense of self as um, interconnected to the whole or from the Buddhist perspective, um, the sense of self becomes the field of a pure awareness outside of the self beyond these um, identity structures, right? And so that's, when, and when you have that experience in you know, either spontaneously or intentionally through the gradual path on, you know, a meditation practice, that's how we can generate like a real authentic 
altruistic motivation because we get a visceral, you know, direct experience that everything really is connected and that we're here to be of service to the planet and to humanity and or just our even just our family and friends. Wow, it's so practical. It's so yeah. it, it 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 ties all of these spiritual concepts that are sometimes very much outside the reach of people very very much on the edges of where people can get to and 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 sometimes uh there there's there's like an identity structure around uh around the tradition of like of christianity or the tradition of 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 a diff- of other spiritual traditions that this identity uh construct is like i i i am a part uh, of this instead of a part of the whole and then I'm separate from this and that has caused war for uh centuries in our in in human society in the in in the blossoming of this world so it's so practical to take these 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 ideas and and make it about the whole make it about the giving to humanity the in, giving to the interconnectedness of us yeah. all um you 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 were just you said all of that so beautifully i should i should add because it's a slippery slope where yeah. you asked about my personal experience and i'm just like I'm, I'm remembering this um one retreat that i did where i realized that even being motivated to be of service, it can become an identity construct too, right? And then the practice becomes to even let go of the outcome of what you're trying to achieve. It's like that, the algorithm of achieving to do anything, right? And when we can even let go of the identity, con- the ego that becomes wrapped around being of service. And then the next stage is motivation transcendence. And it's just like, but it's kind of a setup because then you're motivated to be of service and you kind of orient your life or your work in that way. And then at some point, if you continue to grow and mature and develop and in practice, then you even let go of that. But then your life is set up just to do that. And then you can be in this effortlessness of like, well, okay, here I am. So it's just it's just happening, and I don't need to strive to achieve the st- service because it was just already set up, and that was what was really beautiful for me with my work is I I set up my business, and I was so determined to, and so motivated to be of service, and my achiever mode got wrapped into that identity structure, and when I was able to step out of that, like my business was just running, and I could step out of that how it's running in my mind and in my identity structures and still be of service, but have it be more of this from this transpersonal spontaneity place where it's this kind of this effortlessness moving through me and I'm just living my life. And then I can orient my, you know, the central organizing principle becomes my capacity to just maintain in this state of stabilized flow and I'm of service because I set it up already, if that makes sense. It does make sense. So, so the the identity can also become like, oh, I'm here to change the world. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm giving. I'm serving the world. I'm here to change the world. This is <laughs> this is what I'm going to do every day. I'm going to work on changing the world. Yeah, and then you have to let that go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be, and and that's and that's very that's a very fiery excitement that will drain you very quickly yeah. as well and go push you into burnout. And then it goes against the whole point too, you know, where in, you know, in my, um, 
and the lineage that I'm currently practicing in and Dzogchen and Mahamudra, it's like it, the end goal is the great, per, the great completion is the great perfection, you know, where <clears throat> when we access these non-dual states of awareness, we become, re, we realize that we would not have non-duality without the contrast of duality. They're co-emergent. You can't have one without the other. And in, in like in Buddhist terms, we can't experience nirvana without the experience of samsara. They're co-emergent. And therefore, it's all perfect. And so then in that realization of that not like true direct experience of non-duality, you realize like the beauty and the sacred world of perfection. And, and then there's nothing to really serve except having this broken open heart of compassion for the beauty of it all and for the people who don't see that perfection that are stuck in their suffering and their trauma and this and that and then and then the the service just becomes this this holding in this state of the seeing the perfection and just holding the compassion the compassion for yourself you know, all the way through to be able to have like true, authentic, absolute compassion for others. And that, that becomes the practice, right? Yeah. So the, it's, it's really awesome that we can be scholars and scientists in this incredible field of study uh, and that, and that we can have you know, healthy criticisms of of scholars and still really appreciate their work. Really great example is Ken Wilber. Ken Wilber is an amazing scholar, so brilliant, has done uh, amazing work his entire life. The Albert Einstein of consciousness, people have called him, um, but there's very amazing critiques of his work as well. Uh, Dr. Jorge Frere is a really awesome scholar uh, to my heart, and I, I I really adore him. He's been on the podcast as well, and um, and we and we've spoken about um, the criticisms that he's had very articulately articulately made of Ken Wilber's work and. Uh, Dr. Jeffrey Martin. So Dr. Jeffrey Martin, I, I've I've mentioned his name a few times on this podcast because this is the, the subject matter that I'm most interested in as a scholar, as a scientist. And uh, the, he, uh, he has the Society of Non-Symbolic Consciousness and this idea of non-symbolic consciousness, PNSE, Persistent Non-Symbolic Consciousness, or I, I really love his acronym ONE, uh, O-N-E-1, ongoing, ongoing non-symbolic con conscious uh, experience. Um, uh, that, that's uh, it's just like, I love acronyms. Like he, he really dialed that in. That's really amazing. Um, but, uh, but, but I have also, I have often felt that the non-symbolic is, is like a, it's like a spiritual, it's like a non-dual bypassing of the reality of duality. Like you had just mentioned that, um, the, the, the duality has to coexist to be in this non-dual as well. It, it all exists. It's kind of like a three-part thing going on. And, and I have spoken about, even with, um, like I mentioned before, I had a conversation with Samantha Sweetwater on the podcast as well. And we spoke about, um, it, it is it is these two things weaving together to see that it is all the same, rather than a, a dissolving of of like like everything yeah. else is actually just an illusion and it it's not yeah. real none of that symbolism means anything yeah 
So yeah, well, I owe a lot to Jeffrey. I had an incredible experience working in his lab for almost four years. And He's an amazing scholar, really so an incredible human. Yeah, I had the opportunity to analyze his humongous data set. And, um, and it's a great program too. You know, a lot of people do make this transition into early stage awakening into what he calls non-symbolic experience. And it helps a lot of people. And, um, as I developed after my time at his lab and developed in my own practice and found a new teachers, um, particularly Dan Brown. And, um, I learned that there's other, you know, frameworks out there where this, this early stage of the transition, which, you know, Dan calls like a, a learned path. It's just a learned pathway in the brain out of temporal processing and the prefrontal cortex and into parallel processing, which is that unity in action. The anterior cingulate cortex gets upregulated, which is what flow state is, um, you know, connected to, and then the parallel processing, which we all have, we all go into parallel processing while we drive. Right. But so that, that there's stages of developing that, that learned pathway. And in Mahamudra, for example, the first stage is, um, the first stage of realization is initially one pointedness, which is concentration training to be able to get over into this other state right and and maintain it it requires a significant practice and concentration training and bringing bringing metacognition online and then once you're there and able to maintain it there's um, the next stage is freedom from elaboration and in that stage there's these micro stages and one of those micro stages under freedom from elaboration is non the direct experience of non-dual consciousness and that and that is what Jeffrey's terming, to my understanding, non-symbolic experience, right? But then it continues. Like that's just this, this early stage and then it develops and you come back to liveliness. So in freedom from elaboration to get into non-duality, we practice emptiness, emptiness of self, emptiness of, you know, all the perceptual um, sensations and emptiness of phenomena like time and, um, you know, objects, in, in the space of awareness and, and we get to non-duality in this emptiness and then stabilize the view of emptiness, but then we come back to the liveliness, you know, and then the practice is holding the liveliness and it includes the self. It includes the liveliness of the narrative mind, the liveliness of the identity structures, the liveliness of this reality. And that's what Samantha calls enlightenment is like really going in to the liveliness and the, the value of um, holding the liveliness awareness in, in the forefront of our consciousness because so much, you know, from her eco-psychology perspective, um, it's so needed at this time that we're in with the risks that we face with climate change and everything else that's going on and AI, et cetera. You know, so the... I think from she would agree with me that the the risk of just going into emptiness into the void it can become nihilistic right and and also Elizabeth Stevens who's someone that I met at the lab um, who also worked under Jeffrey her she published her dissertation on the risks of um, you know being in this non symbolic experience which is non dual awareness and and she found in a population of people that claim PNSE or non-duality persistently is that they're often disassociated and 
depersonalized. And so to come back to liveliness, to come back to the body is really critical um, from my view. Yeah, uh, that sounds right to me as well. The, 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 it, it's, it seems it, it's a bit paradoxical. The liveliness is also like the liveliness of the narrative mind is also <laughs> the thing that keeps you from the state as well. Is that is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So we practice going into non-duality to going, you know, gone, gone, beyond, gate, gate, paragate, the heart sutra. We practice going into the field to transcend into the field of awareness first. And then from that view, including the narrative mind, you know, so it's a, it's a different, it's like viewing, it's experiencing the narrative mind from this parallel processing network in the brain. So I remember when I was like really stabilizing this state, I had to relearn how to do all doing all over again. You know, I had to relearn how to hold this state and have conversations. And, you know, the the last task that was really challenging for me was working, being in the state and working on my dissertation, you know, because it's like, it's a whole different, it's a different view. It's a different lens, a mode of perception. Do, do you bring your family members into this? Into, in what way? Into this, into this work, do you have them? Uh, have you, have you been able to? I, I find that a lot of, a lot of people on this sort of path, like they, it, like one of the biggest challenges is like, how do I get my mom to like think <laughs> this way? Like, how do, how do I get my mom to, uh, to realize this? I, I, I had mentioned that uh, my dissertation work right now is making meditation accessible to a population of deaf students. My yeah. mother is deaf. I did have her do a meditation, um, just a single meditation, um, and and it was really great for her, really extraordinary. She's very open to it. However, um, you know, uh, how, how do you bring your family members into this? Like the people that are closest to you have such an impact, such an influence, um, and, and maybe they just don't understand. It's like it's like oh, I I, I saw aliens, and then they like they don't you know the it, it's the same. It's it's a similar um, problem that people experience in spiritual emergency. Uh, yeah. In spiritual emergency, they just they're the people closest to them. Uh, don't have a, a narrative or a willingness to have a have a have a dialogue with them about their experience in a compassionate way that is you know this uh, container of unconditional positive regard for them maybe that uh, allows them to you know really express and process whatever is going on for them. Do, do you bring your family members in into this this stabilized flow? <laughs> well, I, my mother is an anomaly and she was actually the one who opened this door into spirituality for me at a really young age. She, um, she is a nurse and she brought, um, Barbara Brennan's work, um, and healing the practice of healing touch for people in hospitals into Kaiser here in the Bay area. And she has all kinds of practices that she does. And she's also sat with, um, you know, trained with my same meditation teacher. And so it's a little anomalous, but I think uh, my opinion generally on that topic, um, outside of my own personal experiences is like to really just focus on yourself and be the embodiment 
like be the the exemplar to like to just model it you know it's like and in in the practice is, is like holding the great perfection you know is the acceptance and allowance for everyone where they're at in any stage of development you know the practice is uh, equanimity like non-judgment of self non-judgment of others and being you know having a compassionate heart for what where everyone's at you know and then at some point it may be appropriate to share some teachings and at that point you know it's one of the reasons why I really appreciate what Jeffrey's doing and his frameworks around the locations and all of his research is that it's really accessible and that really taught me to go really a lot deeper into the research you know I studied also with Arno Delorme you know who's an EEG expert on meditation states and I went really deep and really learned the science of these practices and the different all the different lineage traditions that have been studying and the different areas of the brain that upregulate differently based on the different practices and it's like I feel like it can be more accessible when you use um, like a semantics or you know these validated experiences and you know like what Jeffrey's doing it make the language really makes it more accessible with, but I don't, I'm not pushy, you know, like my dad and my brother are great. And they, I share just from my own about myself and I don't make it about needing them to change, you know, and I think their hearts and minds open from me just being vulnerable and authentic in my own experience without needing to tell them that they're broken and need something different, you know? Not, yeah, not not that anyone is not. Yeah, I, I I would I would not want to stress to somebody. Oh, mom, you're broken. You're not you're not <laughs> thinking the right way. Um, she's she's thinking exactly how she is meant to be thinking right yeah. now with what where she where she's at, and that's perfectly fine. Um, do you do you have a partner that is that is in this with you in this sort of mental state with you? Um, yeah, I do have flow. a partner who's on the path. Yeah. Yeah. It's great to share, um, the practices and be on a path of growth together. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder about like the, maybe the, the challenges of scholars, especially like doctoral scholars and relationships, maybe it's <laughs> personal projection, uh, but it's just like, um, if, if, you know, I, it'd be interesting to imagine uh, a partnership that um, that um, one is on this path, this stabilized flow, is experiencing this stabilized flow, and and maybe the the other partner is doing the very opposite work, and maybe that that sort of dynamic of opposites attract and, and that sort of thing. And then, uh, but then that might feel like, oh, this is the the reason that that relationship has culminated is because, one is trying to fix the other and then and then that that's like concerning of like that what we just mentioned like that your your brother your father is not not broken in any way that uh you are the exemplar you are uh embodying what 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 this experience is is and and then and then it is it is for them to um you know to find their own way to the path yeah yeah totally Wow, this is a really incredible. There's a lot of like very articulate ways to think about these things, and maybe um, maybe re requires some digestion for for people. Uh, definitely for myself and my my own work. 
Uh, thank you so much for this conversation. I really appreciate it, Lindsay. Um, where can people uh, connect with you and, and connect to your work further? Yeah, I I have some uh, public group group programs coming up where I'm sharing my formula for Stabilize Flow. And they can find me and access that group program on my website, lindsaybriner.com. It's Lindsay with an A, uh, B-R-I-N-E-R. And um, if they sign up for my newsletter, they'll get some free content and information about the group. Amazing. I'm signing up right now. And, uh, yeah, just uh, thank you so much. It was a wonderful conversation. I hope we get to do this again. Thank you so much, Travis. It was great to chat with you. Thank you. You are the realest one you know. And if you need